Okay. All right. I'm. I, I, all right. Okay. How do we start these things again? You say hello, your name, and this is my co-host, and then I introduce myself. Hello, your name. <laughs> <laughs> Jesus Christ! All right. You know what? I'll do the intro. Do it. Hi, welcome back to My Boyfriend is a Podcast. I'm Nick, and this is my co-host, Charles. There we go. Just as stilted as always. It's we've been away for a long time, but we've still got it. You know what? It's it's been a it's been a long road, Nick, getting from there to here, and it's it's been a long time, but my my time is finally near. Is that a reference? Because I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> Episode 19. What's this called again? This is a, a, a bursting. bursting point. I see. I keep wanting to call it boiling point. No, it's it's ruder than that. If we were immature, we'd make a bunch of like lowbrow jokes about it. But I I think we're better than that. I know. I mean, I personally look when I'm in bed with a, with with a, with my partner. Uh, they often say to me, "You won't stop coming until I'm destroyed." Jesus Christ. Okay. Well, we're not better than that. Let's get let's get on with it. <laughs> It's, uh, it has been somewhat of a, a long time since our last episode, but luckily uh, I, the previously on tells us exactly what's happened. That's well, right, which it is just, good. It is good, although they do Should spend... we do a previously on for our lives? Yeah, no. And we'll just... Yeah, so um, I, I died. I've, uh, I've been replaced by a new co-host. Um, Charles, I believe that you fled the country... Uh, took a new life as a gardener, fled the country again, and now you're a career politician in Saudi Arabia? That's it. Unironically, that is true. Oh, no, that's right. You just live in the desert now. I do live in the desert. I, I live in a place where it is never less than 40 degrees. Yep, whereas, you know, I'm uh, engaged to be married, I have a new job, I live in space, and uh, I'm being hunted by the Russian mob, and um, a variety of the facts we've told you are true, but... We'll leave it up to you to, to work out the real truth. The real truth. And I can tell you what is the real truth is someone is walking around my front yard looking at me funny. Do you think they're going to Oh, no. You're going to have to flee the country again. <laughs> they've, they've found me, Nick. They know where I live. God damn it. <laughs> your cover's blown. <laughs> Basically, in the desert, um, people just have this thing where they'll go out to their car and they'll turn the engine on and put the ignition on and just walk away. Why? Because it's really hot and you just want your car to be cool when you get in it. Can you really not tolerate the like 20 seconds of, of being a slightly uncomfortable in your car? Well, I mean, I, I can, but I don't know what other people are like. And apparently, you know, my next door neighbor is one of those people. Look, I'm not, I'm not a big fan of these people who try and argue that people's personal decisions are responsible for climate change. You know, we all know it's actually giant coal power plants. But on the other hand, that's, that's so environmentally wasteful. My don't God. you mean don't you mean giant coal plants and the politicians in the pockets of big oil? Same thing, man. <laughs> so this, uh, uh, I've got in giant notes. Roy Fokker is dead. Yes, he died that time. He he died that 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 time. Uh, but it, don't worry, there's plenty of work for his voice actor because Rick's mental state is frankly concerning for an active duty serviceman. 
And also, this episode is a, a great a great example of while well, you can go, you know what, Rick Hunter is really missing the loss of his dead friend, and we know that not because of anything we can draw from his behaviour, but because multiple characters throughout this episode will tell us Rick is really missing Roy. And you know that's that's how you should tell a story. It's much better to do a tell and not show. I think. Uh, yeah, I'm pretty sure that's that's what they taught me in my writing class. That's that's exactly right, and especially the way that like. Uh, you see, if this was another popular, uh, another popular animated TV show involving giant robots, Roy would already be dead, and they just mentioned that he'd been dead for thirteen years, and then we'd all turn into human soup. Yeah, and then we'd run out of budget and play stock footage for the last two episodes. Congratulations. Anyway, without being too topical, because what's all this new again? Thank you, Netflix. Should we actually start summarising the episode? Well, before we start summarising the episode, I mean, this whole refugee thing is so grim in the 21st century. Yeah. It's like, do you think that they thought that we'd be done with the whole refugee crisis and refugee panic? Nah. Refugees happen whenever anything bad happens, and bad things will happen forever. (laughs) I think they assume that people would be better about refugees instead of worse, but, you know, everyone kind of hopes the future is an improvement. Because it's great. Because like you don't think that any of these Earth governments here are actually bad. You're just like, no, that's how that's how life is in the 2018 hell world. Well, look, we'll get to it when we get into the details. But personally, I don't think they did. The uh, North American Ontario Quadrant, catchy name, I know, did anything wrong. Uh, we begin this episode with uh, Glovel, like Top Gun style, is like buzzing all these buildings in the SDF one. <laughs> yeah, I was gonna make the same joke. Oh he's shit! Just, <laughs> he's buzzing the tower with his. Space battleship. <laughs> There's people just like spilling coffee on themselves constantly. Um, the captain comes up with a wild plan to get the civilians safe. I can't remember what this wild plan is. Does he actually tell us what the plan is? He tells us what the plan is, and it's this is why the Earth government is screaming at him, going, "What the hell are you doing?" As he flies his incredibly heavy, unreliable battleship over a CBD to threaten them into taking the refugees. This is his plan. To be fair, he could probably crash that into downtown Sydney, and would anybody really notice? The, the real punchline is that Sydney has a downtown. Ow. Damn. Yeah. Like, oh, look. We're 500 metres out of the CBD. This is a good time for row houses. <laughs> That's a good point, actually. Um, Claudia does that thing where you pretend that you're not upset and then walk oh, off with mad. a big smile, but you're actually really upset, and then everyone says, Claudia's really upset. And then it cuts to her being really upset. So yes. it's, it's, pretty, it's pretty easy to follow the emotions in this, uh, in this scene. And I don't know if you noticed it, but I believe this is probably the first original music cue we've had in, in 20 episodes. No, I didn't notice. It, they play some like, very sad 80s synthesizers so that you know that she's sad. Well, meanwhile, coincidentally, at the same cafe, Rick is sad as well about the same thing. Yeah, now I notice. have we actually seen this mess hall ever? before or did they just conveniently go what if all of the officers ate together and we hadn't seen it until now okay so my understanding is that we've seen a mess hall but it was like a mess hall now that they've decided it's obviously boring being in a mess hall so that now they're outside the ship or something. yeah it's like a fancy mess hall it may be because rick's always been an officer but maybe he's reached a high enough officer point now that he gets to be in like you know the Qantas lounge of the sdf1 <laughs> that's exactly right i, I think that's uh that's probably right, and it's not at all that they thought it was boring him being in like a in a restaurant. Yeah, well, yeah, because he did get he's been promoted like because of his, the death of his his superior, so that makes a bit a bit of sense. But you can it, justify that. Is it Legends of Galactic Heroes where like roughly a third of all the plot development takes place in people arguing about things over dinner? 
Uh, yeah, at least a third. <laughs> at least a third. And the other third is dinner parties, right? Um, it depends. So oh, the Imperials, right? A third of it, yeah, a third of it is, is dinner parties in the Empire and the other <laughs> third of it is, like, conversations over a nice dinner for the other group whose name I've forgotten. Do you know that I can only recall the plot of one single episode of that and that is the one where the Emperor's old mistress, who's old and not pretty, gets really upset that she's not the young mistress? And attempts to kill somebody? I can't remember individual episodes, just sort of the overarching plot, which is mainly that Reinhardt is super gay, but very good at space war. Hell, hell yeah, that's, that's exactly that's my kind of show. pretty much it. That's, that's why everyone loves anime. That's why everyone loves that show. That's a great show. It's a great show. If you haven't seen Legend of Galactic Heroes and you have like a spare thousand hours to kill, go for it. <laughs> but... Don't, but yeah, don't don't commit if you don't have a lot of free time because its pace is glacial and there's about a billion episodes. Yeah, that's that's I, I, that's right. That's right. Um, he says, looking at the person uh, attempting to back out of their front drive without hitting all the cars parked in it. <laughs> do you think? Do, me. do you think me narrating my next door neighbour backing the car out of the drive is going to make it into the end, final letter or not? I don't know. It depends how the rest of the show goes, really. You've got to make an hour up somehow. <laughs> um, to, to get back on track, Lisa um, comes down to check on Claudia, but because she's Lisa, she sees Rick and wanders over to, to Rick, and uh, Rick starts moping about his life. And for once, I feel Rick is somewhat justified in his mopiness. Because his, his mentor died? Yeah, I mean, that's fine. I, I dig that. And uh, obviously, you know, we make fun of this, but I haven't watched this show in... When was the last episode? It was August. So like four months or something? I don't know, at least four months. So, a lot has changed. And basically, I did not realise I was back until I heard Minmay's stupid song playing quietly in the background. <laughs> I was like, hell yeah, I'm <laughs> back, baby. Hell yeah. That's, um, I think there might actually be some sort of bizarre rule where Minmay's song has to be played in every episode because I believe that's the only time we hear it this episode. So they clearly shoehorned it in there because, you know, speaking gotta of remind us what... Macross is allegedly about. Speaking of shoehorning in, there's, this is a great episode for that. So Rick yeah. starts bitching about Lynn Carl, probably just to remind us that Lynn Carl exists. And then uh, in an episode full of highlights, Lisa suddenly thinks, something's really changed with Rick. He's suddenly sexy all of a sudden. Ooh-woo. Ooh-woo indeed. Uh, then Rick starts talking about the new barrier defense system, the Chekhov's oh, yeah, barrier it was defense just system. Random exposition to describe technology. It was really natural. It just sort of comes up, and it's like the next sentence is suddenly we're talking about this. It's funny though because, like, from your point of view, from a story point stand of view, it's awkward. But from a person who now works with coworkers and in every social engagement starts talking about their job, it seemed really realistic to me. That's fair. That is actually fair. Every, I, I, maybe they should have put that awkward pause in when everyone realises they don't know their colleagues that well so you all pause and go well I guess we go back to talking about work and then launch into <laughs> it <laughs> oh jeez um, but ultimately you know the fact that they lost the pinpoint barrier system sucks because it was the best it was the best it actually was the best but we have a new replacement for the pinpoint barrier system coming up this episode yeah it's the Vegeta over 9000 barrier system <laughs> it, 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 yeah, that's right um, speaking of shoehorned you 100% did speaking of things shoehorned for no reason Minmay complains about being tired and having a headache to Lynn Kyle 
Oh yeah, I forgot Minmay's even in this. Episode. Yeah, yeah, she's she's she has two scenes, and then Kyle is like the really abusive manager thing for some reason. Yep. Well, get back to work, you broad. Let's <laughs> <laughs> not touch you. You're gonna you're gonna you're gonna make us some of that scratch seed. Yeah, basically. The, on the bridge, uh, speaking of the hell world corrupting everything we live in. Uh, the bridge crew receive a secret crypto communication from the Ontario system. No, no, sorry. Because when I heard this line, I stopped it and listened back to it like three times because, oh my God. So it is a secret crypto communication printout from the North American Ontario quadrant. That's like Bitcoin, right? (laughs) I think so. (laughs) It's just like, you know, if you come and, and unlock our blockchain, we'll take your civilians. Also, well, I like that it's like encrypted and then they print it out. Yes. I presume they print it out like already decrypted. Very secure. Um, they just stuff it in a filing cabinet, which is labeled with don't read this. <laughs> your eyes only in brackets, not your eyes. Go away, please. Exactly. Um, again, the amazing synth cue that means that the evil people are there starts playing and Chiron, the main man, Ron, is unhappy that the ladies and Trati won't let him attack. Uh, yeah, Chiron's mad again because he's always mad. I can relate to Chiron. <laughs> In 2018, aren't we all Chiron? See, that was neither anyway. funny nor political. It was just like <laughs> it was neither. That's what I love. Oh, yeah, you've got a you've got a good uh, good chance of becoming a Democrat. Oh, boy! Azonia is sitting there having dealt with Chiron, and Miria comes in looking like she's about to cry and requests to become a spy. She uh, wants to get miniaturized. She wants to get um, miniaturized. Just because, as you do, you know. I think I'd give it a whirl. I think it'd be fun for a while. Me too. Uh, Azonia relents when she sees the passion in her eyes, which is good middle management. When she sees that she's not happy in her current role, she, you know, moves into another no, I've, role. I've made some other notes on Zentradi management practices <laughs> for this, this podcast episode, so I'm glad we're starting into that already. <laughs> but um, we, don't, we don't actually get a reason that Miria wants to get miniaturized yet, do we? Like, she just seems upset and she wants to become a spy, and we don't know why. Which she says, I believe she internally monologues that she can't believe a tiny Micronian defeated her, so she's oh, becoming a Micronian. Right. I must destroy that pilot. Right, she wants to get rid of her enormous natural advantage, become yes. small, yes. and then get the shit beaten out of her? Okay, whatever. Yep. Uh, Rick is playing with his plane. Oh, uh, you missed out the long lingering shot of her going into the miniaturization machine, which just happens to require you to be naked. Did I miss that, really? Yeah, it's an anime. Of course It, it is an anime. Um, Rick says that just like rain Didn't on your wedding day... Three Stooges dicks. I mean, just... I, I, I know, good point, good point. Now, if you just let me do my joke again. Rick says, oh. just like rain on your wedding day, Fokker boasted he was never shot down, but now he's dead. It's ironic. Yeah, 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 I don't know. Yeah, as, as we, I think we can all agree, there are many definitions of irony, and that is not any of them. <laughs> I think the way he tries to justify it when everyone sort of looks at him like, who the fuck is this Alanis Morissette fucking son of a bitch, is he goes, well, I used to get shot down all the time, and now I'm in the guy's plane who didn't get shut down. <laughs> and it's like, that's... That's survivor's guilt. That's not irony. No. These are different. No. No, it just would be so irony poisoned. That's why that doesn't work. Is well, that... look, if it was Twitter irony, he just would have been like, ha, this plane, I painted a cock and balls on it, and now I'm going to set it on fire. <laughs> irony. 
Um, I have in my notes here, Chiron is being dastardly and attacks. Uh, yeah, but there's a really funny thing where he's briefing people and he says, intelligence reports that the Micronians care about their world. Oh, yes, yes. As if this is like a novel fact. It's like, you know, they only I have one that. world. I noticed like, that too, actually. Yeah. People tend to care about the one world that they live on. Um, so I'm not sure if this quite Other makes sense. Other than climate change. But they're all scrambling, but Ben still has time to order a giant steak. Yeah, well, it's a it's a foreshadowing steak. I even wrote, before I knew how this episode went down, I went, hmm, look, he's abandoned his steak halfway through. <laughs> wow. <laughs> I wonder if he's going to get to eat it. So what was really funny is that uh, you, you gleefully informed me last episode that you would know when someone would die next because the show would foreshadow it ominously, and lo and behold, you've picked up on it straight away. Yep. Yep. Um, and so in my notes, as the same as you, my notes say, Ben tells them, don't move, he'll be back real soon. The camera lingers on Ben's steak, ominously. Yeah, it's like, uh, I mean, you know, it can be pretty dramatic and shocking when you just kill a character off with no warning. You don't have to foreshadow the death of, like, C-list side characters. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And uh, as we were mentioning before, uh, Rick Hunter has big shoes to fill and, and is going to dedicate this fight to his old mentor. And we know that because people tell us he has big shoes to fill and he dedicates it to Roy. That's right. He pulls like a football out of his flat suit, bangs it against his chest twice, and then like does a peace sign and goes, this one's for you, big brother. <laughs> he doesn't actually do that, but he may as well. But it's also completely on, on, on message with this episode. So there's dogfight, things happen. It was, it was fun. I like dog he fights. also makes it. Yeah, he also makes a big deal about how he's in a different plane. He's got to get used to it, even though it's an identical plane. It's just painted a different color and has a weird stain on the on the seat. <laughs> and that's not even a blood stain. That's the really weird thing, right? Yeah, that's what I was like, hang on, he got shot. So the the stain should be behind me. <laughs> the captain readies Chekhov's defense system. Uh, meanwhile, Miria is taken towards the STF one in her tiny little. Uh, do we actually see her get put inside the ship? Yeah, yeah. So this is because it happens again. It's another giant hand holding a small woman. Like it happens again. That's the, huh. um, it's actually quite a, a visually interesting keyframe as long as you're prepared to humor the director's fetish coming up again. But yeah, she's in, instead of the like weird coffins they put the spies in, she has like a glass bubble. Oh, of course she does because she's a pretty girl. Yeah, and she's being held by a hand. And, you know, you, if you can't see the, the girl in the hand, then how do you what? jack off to it? <laughs> Fuck. Um, but she gets flown in by um, Azonia personally, I think, which is kind of weird. That is weird. And um, Chiron organises his dastardly plan. Uh, but Rick spots Chiron's reinforcements, so the captain activates their, their Chekhov's barrier. Uh, which is just the Dragon Ball Z, like, Super Saiyan field. It doesn't have the swishing noise, but it's the same, like, yellow crayon out exterior. Definitely, definitely. And uh, Chiron doesn't care. He opens fire. It can't be, he explains, uh, uh, exclaims, as they fail to do any damage. So Chiron orders them to fire everything, and they keep firing. This is when the captain helpfully tells us they won't stop coming until we're destroyed. <laughs> Which, you know, why am I the only one that found that funny? Oh dear. I don't know. I don't know. Then suddenly. But this is the part with the zoons. Yeah, yeah. And so um, basically, there's a shot. Uh, you can explain it better, but there's a shot of like their status board. Yeah. So one of the one of the bridge crew is is in front of this big display that's clearly meant to be on the screen for about three seconds with the just the Zentradi ships coming closer to them, but 
for whatever reason, I had to pause it then. And when I paused it, I realized that the zones they were like yelling about were spelt Z double O N. And then there's just like random equations just drawn on the corners. It's, it's the most lazy piece of weird graphics I've seen in this a while. This is like red zoom, yellow zoom, and then E equals MC squared, which is just amazing. Yeah. Um, suddenly, uh, who would have thought it? The barrier begins to be overloaded. Uh, Lisa lets Rick know that the fate of the entire city rests in his hands. And Can't help but noticing the trackball system didn't get overloaded. And that's exactly right. And it's Just like when, you know, Google pushes an update. And then well, your phone breaks. I can't help but notice. I can't check my emails any longer. Google. Thanks. Thanks, SDF1 Google development team. Uh, it's night time, but that doesn't stop Nick, Rick Hunter. Sorry. It's night time, and it doesn't stop Rick Hunter from putting on his space sunglasses, Blues Brothers style. <laughs> yeah, as you do. You know, you gotta you got to get that Tom Cruise look going. <laughs> uh, the music gets the uh, changes to the things are getting desperate cue. Uh, then the bridge crews start to let us know that things are getting desperate. Uh, my next note reads... They've just entered the red zone. Well, you, you beat me to that again because my notes <laughs> read, it's touchdown time because the Zentradi are entering the red zone. <laughs> what's what's the that? red zone. Red zone. What's that NFL thing? It's like the red zone channel where it only shows you the game when they're in the red zone and suddenly it cuts to the shot of these Zentradi ships. <laughs> nice. Um, I don't know this red zone channel. Oh, it sounds... Uh, like it's sort of missing the point uh, it, it, yeah well uh, it's like oh yeah I only watch the finales of TV shows that's true but also it's American football and it cuts out all the boring downtime so it's incredibly cool actually no but the downs are the best part <laughs> well, hey! I'm sorry I'm very sorry okay keep going uh, Lisa tells everyone to evacuate immediately because the barrier is going to explode Lisa then screams Rick yeah, so it wouldn't be an anime without a nuclear blast imagery that makes everyone a little bit uncomfortable, right? That's right. So as things start to overload, Max, Ren and Max, Rick and Ben attempt to flee the explosion, which flattens all of Ontario. They tell Ben to activate his afterburners like a minute too late. And then Ben says, it's too late. Ah, and dies. And, and then it cuts to Rick in the cockpit in this like meant to be artsy shot and... Rick does like the Catholic prayer thing where you like draw a cross across yourself, even Spectacles, though he's no right. ever been a Catholic. Although it does explain his interest in the underage Minmay. <clears throat> Moving on, uh, Ontario decides that they don't want the civilians after they flattened all of Ontario, which is interesting because the entire plot of next episode is them waiting to find out whether or not they want them, but they apparently already know. Well, I don't really understand how Ontario could now possibly take the refugees, considering. The city just got nuked, and they're probably all dead, and the ones that aren't are now themselves refugees. Well, yeah, well, that is a good point, actually. Uh, Lisa tells Rick that people will never understand what he's been through trying to save their lives. Oh, yeah, this is Lisa's weird fascist, like, nobody understands what it's like to serve. <laughs> Would you like to know more? Your sacrifice. Um, meanwhile, in the most incredibly plot of the episode... Minmay, who you may or may not remember is a part of this show, is in hospital, and out front, Lynn Carl is giving a press conference, and he goes on his anti-war rant, which he's meant to be the bad guy here, but he seems incredibly... Yeah, instead you just get Claudia and Lisa talking about how, well, the only way to stop wars is uh, unconditional surrender for reasons that they don't discuss, and uh, therefore, ending wars is bad. I guess so, I guess so. 
Uh, Minmay calls Rick and says, don't worry, Rick, I'm just in hospital. I've just been overworked. And before she can finish, Rick just hangs up because his friend died. And he's sad. Yeah. They, their relationship's not great. They're not communicating very well. There, there is a but also, we also had the Zentradi there hearing um, the ranting guy and they basically go, in the sa- literally in the same sentence, wow, if there were no war, that would get rid of our entire reason for existing. But I guess I get what he means. <laughs> yeah, that's I funny. don't really understand how those two phrases go together. Well, it, obviously, because they're war machines, they're built and bred only for war. They're like, if we don't have war, we won't exist. But also, non-war is great. Yeah, Trust me, they, like, they well, make the most sense the out first of everybody. Part makes, well, the, the first part of that makes sense, but I don't understand how they were like, yeah, I'm just going to give up my entire reason for existing. That seems pretty reasonable to me <laughs> in one sentence. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's right. And so that's, that concludes episode 19, which is by all accounts the best episode. And we've made fun of it, but it is, it's pretty cool. Things happen. It's not bad, but I'm, I'm going to do a quick recap of the episode because um, it's kind of a morally bizarre episode because the usual bad guys are not the bad guys. The main characters are the bad guys. So, Global deliberately flies close to a city, demand, like literally threatening them to take the refugees. Then they use their prototype shield generator, which they've never used before. It explodes. It levels the city that they were deliberately endangering and everyone in the city dies. The people in the city tell them to fuck off with their refugees because, as I mentioned, they have their own refugee crisis now on a, because they just got nuked by the people threatening to nuke them. So I'm pretty sure the only thing that's going to come out of this is Captain Global's court-martial. Look, if you put it that way, he's, he's going straight to the Hague. Space Hague. Yeah, like he just blew up all his own people, which he explicitly threatened to do. He, he's... good. Yeah, I never actually thought of it that way. He's a he's a bad dude. I mean, he charms and all you of his staff support him in his decision making. So it's like Jesus Christ. I think the United Earth government going, ah, uh, you know what, you guys, out. That's pretty reasonable. It, it is fairly reasonable, and that brings us on to the topic of episode twenty, Paradise Lost. Everyone is homeless and stateless because Toronto has turned them away. Um, this... for some bizarre reason, I don't know why. On the uh, Zentradi ship, Dolza looks at the film of the accidental explosion and decides that it was deliberate. So they sack Amazonia and replace her with Brita. Yeah, this is sort of like space Stalin sort of micromanaging his commanders. <laughs> you must attack. Like he never gives anyone an opportunity to like learn from their mistakes. He just replaces them so that their replacement can make all the same mistakes and then repeats that indefinitely. <laughs> what was that? Did, did you see that... Uh... That tweet from that college football writer reading Stalingrad. This Hitler guy seems like a real hands-on manager. Surely this won't be a problem <laughs> later on. <laughs> it just reminded me of this. Dawson being the hands-on, hands-on management type. Um, oh dear, that's great. Br- uh, Britai returns to his ship, and I noticed that they haven't repaired anything from that episode where they're yeah, on board. Yeah, I noticed it, which... that. So it's still got the big hole that um, Rick's. Uh, guy, what's his name? Max. Max flew through. Yeah. yeah. So it just Max flew through. It looks like my car from university. It's pretty much <laughs> what I'm saying. Uh, then we cut to a shot of like uh, trucks loading up the SDF one, and there's a fantastic freeze frame shot of a fast food takeaway called Macross Nalds. Macross what? Macross Nalds. <laughs> right. So it's okay. like instead of McDonald's, it's Macross Nalds. Oh, Macrosnolds. Yeah, it. only because it's two words. It looks like Macrosnolds. Bizarre. It is. I mean, Fair. it's. I'm sure it was it's actually. Also, not how funny. McDonald's works. You know what they call McDonald's in uh in Paris? What do they call it? McDonald's. 
<laughs> Actually, I think you'll find they'll call it McParis. Really? <laughs> I haven't been, so I'll have to take your word for that. They call it a McParis with cheese. Did you notice that there's a hind? I did actually. They say that. Well, this comes. Do, up- would, would you like to do the joke, or will I? Uh, d- d- you hit me. Hit me. Wait. What's a hind doing on my superdimensional space fortress? <laughs> Uh, <laughs> that's right. Um, so Rick is trying to write his letter to the parents of Ben saying he's dead. He then starts to hallucinate Ben in his room. Max turns up and they go out walking for some fresh air. Max says it's tough being in command. Rick agrees. They go outside and soak in a sunset and then they watch a hind land on the uh, spaceship. Yeah, and they're like, wow, that's a fancy helicopter. It must have an important person in it. And we never see that person at all, do we? No, they just off screen. Um, I think they discuss it next scene, so keep going. <laughs> um, meanwhile, uh, the Zentradi spies listen to Min Men music while cooking stew. They all joke about how shit the cooking is and then get sad about leaving Micronian life. Uh, I love their, um, I'm going to miss happy people. <laughs> oh, that was, the society's that, got some serious problems. That was, that was, a, that was a great line, yeah. Oh, I'm going to miss happy people. Um, meanwhile, the captain gets the news that they're not welcome on Earth and they've been ordered to leave, which we knew about already, but I guess it's been confirmed. Yeah, this is, this is from the, the people who arrived in the helicopter. are like, you know how you, uh, you threatened to nuke a city and then you nuke the city? Yeah, um, we would like you to go back into space and not come back, thanks. <laughs> um, they, they prepare to launch into space. Sammy talks about how Lisa should talk to her dad. I'm not sure if her mentioning that is to get us set up for another episode where her dad appears, but that was very bizarre. No, it's mentioned before because we know her dad's really senior in the government because it came up earlier in the Lisa Mars stuff. Ah, that's right, sure. But, um, yeah, the thing is, I do think it's funny how everyone's going, this is so unfair. It's not our phone. We weren't responsible that our untested prototype technology blew up. It's like, well, you turned it on and you also made it. Exactly. Well, I feel like you might be responsible. Exactly. It is kind of actually all your fault. It is, it is entirely... You know, it's possible to be responsible for something and it also be an accident. These two things can both be true, guys. <laughs> like, if I accidentally run someone over and kill them, I don't go to jail for murder. I still go to jail. It, but you don't, you don't get to say it was an accident. You know, it, it, you know it, was, it was your fault. That's right. That's how that works. It'll be like, oh, well, well, it's glad you didn't intentionally kill them, but they're still dead. Uh, Britai launches all his ships behind the moon, which is somehow a... The Spatial Coordinates Behind the Moon. It's the, also the name of my third album, which you can buy today at the iTunes store. That's a, that's a really great name for, for a prog rock album, actually. Yeah. Also, just for the record, spatial does not mean space. Spatial just means, like, you know, volume. Yeah, that's... The spatial yeah. Coordinates is just, you know, one of those words where they both mean the same thing. That's, that's pretty funny. It's like, how, it's, like, it's like the space equivalent of flammable and inflammable. Exactly. Um, so the three, spy, the three spies get their secret code and then they blast a hole in the STF, drop into the water, climb onto a rock and launch into space. Wouldn't it just have been easy to launch straight into space? Yeah, but it wouldn't have been as cool. Uh, that's true. Also, I didn't notice, but the, um, the little chicken walkers the Zentradi run around in, which they use here to like blast off, when the legs came off, I realised they look a lot like the um, the Sawyer's capsules. Oh, okay, there you go. That's a good point, actually. Like, not not one for one, but very stylistically similar with the whole like single porthole. Yeah, deal. yeah, yeah, yeah. That's interesting. I didn't think of that. 
Because, uh, you know, as we all know, the Soviet Union are, are alien war machines that we cannot possibly relate to or understand. <laughs> <laughs> um, then they get attacked. Is this the point where they say that the ships organise themselves by rank? Or was that later on? Um, I think this is now, yeah. Yeah, they say... Is, they're all, is this what the bridge crew are talking about, all the, all the ships that rocked up? Yes, yeah, because yeah, there is a million yeah. ships that are attacking. Yeah, that's now. Yeah, which is... The, the comic relief bridge member, like uh, Goldfish Girl, says, maybe they've come in peace this time. <laughs> then Claudia so says... At this point, she's just a gag character. Uh, then Claudia said... Actually, there's, we did miss a point. Didn't, don't the... Uh, don't the Threes and Tridy spies talk about meeting the bridge crew and one of them impersonates the bridge crew at some point? Oh, I feel like I would remember that, All but right. maybe. Maybe. Um, it doesn't matter if Claudia says, it doesn't matter how many there are. We've beaten them all before and we'll beat them again. Uh, and, and Glevel goes, yes. Yes. The way he does all the time because he doesn't know how else to translate height when he's doing this. <laughs> uh, so he just goes, yes. And then uh, the captain tells everyone that they're a decoy and to go into you know, outer space, which as Nick has pointed out before is entirely reasonable. Yeah, like they definitely made this bed that they are now lying in. <laughs> they have ma- they've made their bed and they're going to take their bed into outer space. Uh, Amazonia and Brita get into a dick measuring contest before Brita just hangs up this space phone on her. Not- Is this the part where then his um, little minion goes, oh, by the way, you've got a 10.30 appointment with the cloning lab, um, brunch with your mum, yes. and you need to pick up your laundry. Yes, yeah, and so he just hangs up and goes off to get his laundry. It's pretty cool. Yeah, I just love how it's like a 10.30 appointment with the cloning lab is like so... Banal and also like space tech. So space tech, exactly. Like, can they not just send him an email? <laughs> um, so he meets up with the spies and they go over various bits of Micronian equipment. They talk about civilians, entertainment, music, and then there's a bunch of choice quotes like, Piano, what function does it serve? Oh, yeah, I'll remember this because Min May's like CD thing is about the same size as the oven that they've taken. It's uh, what, what we used like to call it. it's completely a, out of scale. It's enormous. Well, I, I think you'll find that's what we call a vinyl record. <laughs> <laughs> Which it isn't because we've already seen that they use CDs in this timeline, but it was pretty funny to think that he just has like this LP or something, this giant well, that's what I was trying to look at it going, even, even as a record, that's like half the size of the fridge. Yeah, no, it doesn't make any sense because they hold a grand piano in their hand and then yet at the same time an LP record is roughly like half the size of that. It's so. a, almost as big as the grand piano, which is like, <laughs> wow. Man. Look, I, I guess to be fair, trying to draw them holding a CD to scale, they probably would have realised, oh, it's almost, it's almost as if if we try and use miniaturized technology, it's going to be a challenge. And I tell you what, it, for, for once they're at war and they don't appear to have problems with rubber supply if they can make vinyl records that big. Nice. Uh, hello? Was that a World War II joke? Did I do it? That was a nice... Yeah, it's a good World War II joke. Um, also, one of the... If you, if you would like to uh, understand that joke, <laughs> please look up Germany's production of synthetic rubber in World War II. <laughs> and then listen back to the joke for, uh, for the perfect experience. Uh, they also exclaim, there were no negative side effects of being in the presence of females. Which is like, I know what they're trying to say, but also the funniest way they could have said that, which I love. Well, except the whole point of this scene is that there were negative side effects. Oh, that's right. So Britai flips out. They're all being corrupted. So, so Britai flips out and says that human lifestyle is utterly confusing and first of, first of all, big mood. But secondly, they all they go off and they have all stolen bits and pieces from the, the, the ship and they decide to show it Man. off to the boys and they start to corrupt the other boys on board the spaceship. 
And then they have that horrible Minmay doll. That's right. In my notes read, they show a Minmay doll which emits its satanic Lovecraftian screams, which they find captivating. Yeah, this, so I, ha- I hate that I do this all the time, right? Yo. But in Macross, with the subs, this sounded like a recorded version of Minmay singing My Boyfriend is a Pilot. Like it was tinny, yep. but it was still very recognisable, not only the song, but also that it was Minmay singing. The audio for this is... Yeah, unearthly. Like it, you can't, you can barely recognize the song, and it doesn't sound so much as tinny as so much as broadcasted from a UFO hovering outside your bedroom window at two in the morning. And it's like an uh, annihilation. It's like not even like an actual recording. It's like an alien imitating the noises. Yeah. So it's yeah, it's ooh, it's, it's creepy. Like, oh, if you've ever watched um, watched those simulations that are meant to that are on YouTube of like what it sounds like to have a bad hearing aid. It sounds kind of like that. I don't recommend listening to it because it'll give you nightmares. Hang on, I need to think I might have to watch that at some point. <laughs> it sounds- yeah, it's, the, it's like a simulation of the cochlear implant, like how you take human speech and then bust it down to eight channels, and it's basically showing why it takes 12 months for people who get those implants to actually learn to use them. Jesus, it's a nightmare. Because your brain has to go, sorry, what was that? <laughs> Jeez Louise. So the last five minutes of the episode are taken up uh, with... Global giving a speech, he explains that they have to leave Earth, nobody wants them. Uh, Minmay then rallies the troops and tells them that suffering is a part of life, and if they all band together and contribute to the war effort, they can overcome the threat of the Zentradi menace. I don't understand anything that's to do with politics, so just watch me dance and sing and obey the military junta. (laughs) We're not even joking. We're not even joking. This is the most fascist thing I've seen in my life. And then at the end, everyone's like, wow, that was the best speech of all time. Yeah, literally Which someone says that's the like, best speech I've ever heard. Someone says. It's like, yeah, Martin Luther King, eat your heart out. Eat your heart out. And uh, the whole time Rick is watching this, he's just sitting in his cockpit in the hangar. Yeah, so it's like the... And the animation here is incredibly bad. Like, Minmay has this walking animation where her like feet slide across the ground. It's like as if it was contracted out to Hanna-Barbera. <laughs> and then they try to dub her singing... With the original, like, so that her mouth moves in time to the English song, which means they just try pausing it strategically to make it match up, but oh. you can immediately tell they've done that, so it is awful. It, yeah. The only part I like is that while all this is going on, it cuts to Global and Rick just looking, like, shell-shocked and miserable, so I'm still not 100% convinced whether or not this is a fascist or anti-fascist show, because... It just goes back on itself all the time. I, I can't remember. I, I, it was, I watched this 20 minutes ago and I can't remember. What song does she sing? Is it the slow to be in love song or is it the, the stage lights flashing song? It's the slow to be in love song, I believe. God. Did, did she get a third song, you reckon? Or we just stuck with these two songs for the rest of time? Pretty sure she only gets two and you should be thankful because <laughs> the original had literally one song. <laughs> Oh dear. Well, you know what time it is now. I don't actually. It is time for emails. Our first email comes in from Matthew in Sydney. He says, You sons of bitches talked about piss in the episode I told a co-worker about before I heard the part where Charles said he pisses on himself. Fuck. Thanks, Matt. I didn't hear a question in that. So, uh, <laughs> Next time, if, welcome, you could, if you could phrase it in the form of a question in the future, that'd be, uh, <laughs> that'd be helpful. Next. But on the other hand, like, I, I don't know what your coworker was expecting, if not jokes about piss from a podcast 
made by two young men about an anime. Like, exactly. You need more realistic expectations. Our second email comes in from Alex in Canberra. G'day, dickheads. Long time, first time. Thank you for your tireless podcast efforts. There are news reports that the live-action Robotech movie that was stuck in pre-production hell for ages might finally be moving forward with Wonder Woman screenwriter Jason Fox, pronounced Fox, and IT director Andy Muskie, also pronounced Fox, now attached. <laughs> the movie originally had Tobey Maguire attached, presumably playing the role of Dick Hunter. Your mission is to cast the 2019-2020 action Robotech movie. Who are the main characters? What would you change for a film adaptation? Would you still cast Tobey Maguire? P.S. Put your podcast on iTunes, cowards. Love and kisses, Alex and Canberra. Nick, have you had a chance to right. think about this? I, I have, actually. I was, I was pre-briefed on this question. And what I was thinking is for... Um for Rick Hunter, yep. I'd go with uh, Eddie Murphy. <laughs> okay. And for um, Captain Global, I'd go for uh, Eddie Murphy. <laughs> and you might see a bit of a pattern here. Yeah. And I was thinking, yeah, for Lisa, Eddie Murphy. Yep. And Min May, Eddie Murphy. Oh, yeah. And, uh, yeah, I think you can see where I'm going with oh, this. Oh, yeah. What about you? Did you have a, uh, a casting? I do, casting I do. Well, first thing, obviously, we need the, the role of, a, of an older man with a troublesome relation with younger people. So for that reason, I'm going to cast Kevin Spacey in the role of Roy Fokker. Jesus Christ. Secondly, uh, <laughs> we've got a, 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 a Chinese nationalist uh, singer. And so obviously the, 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 the most authentically Chinese actress I can think of is clearly Scarlett Johansson in the role of Min Mei. I always thought you were going to go with Jackie Chan then. And then I was thinking, who's that really annoying guy with the annoying face from... Um, Whiplash. I don't know. Hang on. Let me, I'm sorry. The guy from Whiplash as, and the guy from Fantastic Four as Rick Hunter because he's annoying. Yeah. yeah, I was thinking Adam Sandler, but young for Rick Hunter would probably work. <laughs> Fan-four-stick. Fan-four-stick. Um, the only serious casting thing is, and I know he's meant to be Russian, Miles Teller is Captain, Captain Holt from Brooklyn Nine-Nine. I'm not sure what the actor's name is, but he'd make a good global. Um, Jesus Christ He's like a really Actually Famous proper actor That I can't remember either Yes Andy Brower I don't know actor's name Andy Brower Yeah, yeah. That guy I, I love how that we've You know we told each other We told each other Think about this We'll do a serious Serious casting And then we both <laughs> Figured the other person Would do it seriously And we both came up with Like dumb gimmick jokes That didn't actually answer The question properly And just Just for the record an all Eddie Murphy version of Robotech live action would not be any worse than the hell that Alex has just described to us. Oh. Like, who the, like, that sounds so awful. First of all, there are no good live action anime adaptions, and I won't hear it. If you'd like to contest that, you can email the show, and then I'll delete the email, and we won't read it out. Um, but even then, the only thing worse than live-action anime adaptations is Western live-action anime adaptations. I tell you what, you're going to be eating and your words when we start watching this Cowboy Bebop remake. Oh, I'm not going to watch it. It doesn't even have um, Yoko Kano involved. I'm not going to trap sprung. I'm not the... going to trap sprung and claim to know who that is. So uh, Yoko Kano is responsible for the entire soundtrack of Cowboy Bebop, which is why it's good. All right. So the, the oh the seatbelts and stuff like that yeah yeah, yeah 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 Yoko Kano and the seatbelts was a band Yoko Kano put together specifically for Cowboy Bebop and came up with the best opening TV song, TV show theme of all time. That's that's 
Oh, the girl. Oh, she's awesome. Yeah, she's really cool. Oh, she's great. Really okay, then I'm not and interested. not involved in Netflix's live action show. Well, then I'm 100% not interested. What's she done aside from that? Uh, she- she's done a lot of other... I think she wrote um, the theme song for Ghost in the Shell Standalone Complex. Or Is it the, first, the, the good first one or the bad second one? Or both? The good first one with the really bad CGI opening titles. Oh, I love that. Oh, no, she actually did both of them. I, I prefer the first one to the there second one. Uh, what do I know, though? She also did... No, yeah, Ghost in the Shell gets worse every time they make more stuff. Also, she also did Space Star Dandy, which, from what I've heard of, is incredible. Yeah, it's. I think it's a similar sort of um, feel to Cowboy Bebop. Yeah, 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 sure. But I haven't seen it. Did you see that, speaking of high-tier anime, did you see that uh, Twitch was streaming Pokemon uh, all weekend? I did not see that. So, basically, it was fucking fantastic because I was... Like bored on a Saturday, as as many of us are, and I put it on, and it's like Ash Ketchum is fishing in a fountain, right? <laughs> okay. And he pulls something out, and then there's a girl, and the girl is like, <gasps> and he's like, <gasps> and the narrator is like, so it's revealed, our hero Ash Ketchum will have to face off in the tournament his best friend Lily or something, and then. There was a song for about five minutes about how we should all be friends and get along and there was a bunch of Squirtles dancing. And then the next episode started, but it wasn't the next episode. It was a Pokemon movie, but it was a Pokemon movie from like Generation 7 when all the Pokemon are like nightmares and they'd run out of ideas. (laughs) And And they're all just like spiky monsters. Yeah, they're all spiky monsters that like haunt people's dreams and cause like the collapse of Western banking. And it's like... What happened to this TV series? I was watching the TV series. I don't want to watch this fucking hour and a half long fucking movie with these Generation 7 nightmares. I have a lot of time for Pokemon, right? Because, so the animation is, it's so bad. I reckon you can animate animate an episode of Pokemon using Microsoft PowerPoint and no one would tell the difference. (laughs) Like, nothing moves. The only thing that moves is people's mouths flap and the camera slowly pans. But the reason I have a lot of respect for it is clearly it costs about 20 cents to make an episode. But when I was, like, nine and watching Pokemon, I could watch something from, like, Hanna-Barbera, like Scooby-Doo or whatever. They're all exactly the same. And I could tell at age nine that the animation was shit. Whereas I did not realise how bad Pokemon's animation was until I saw it when I was in my teens, again, on, like, a kid's TV, and went, how did I not notice? Nothing moves. So... As far as the cheapest, worst animation, they're the best. Another good one was... uh, So, like, this is, like, a really, I guess, dangerous minefield to go into, but, like, the second after the Robotech... Not Robotech, after the Transformers movie, the second season of Transformers, where it's, like, a weird sci-fi show. Like, they just travel through space all the time, right? And it's the the season where they have that episode where Optimus Prime comes back from the dead and they visit the Transformers mausoleum and it's, like, fucked up and dark and awesome. But anyway... Yeah. It's, it was done by some Korean action, not action, some animation studio in Korea, and it's like anything that moves changes color, obviously. So, so like <laughs> they'll walk towards the door, and the door yeah. will be like brown, and then suddenly it will turn like orange, and then the door will open. But then, in the yeah. process of the door opening, like the Transformers colors will change because they've changed the colors. It, it's just like yeah, it's really, really. It's sort of like how you can you can see how our Wiley Coyote skit's gonna go because one of the rocks is not hand painted. Yeah, ex- exactly. And you same just thing. Know yeah, that one's gonna fall on him. Yeah, basically. Well, that concludes our uh, our first episode in the wild. Nick, what did you actually think of these two episodes, by the way? 
Um, they were good. Like, they weren't bad episodes. Um, I feel like they get all these episodes, though, are getting a little bit samey. Like, I feel like the pace has really slowed down. We've been to Earth, to the moon, back to Earth again, and now we're going back into space. Yeah, I definitely get the distinct impression at this point that they maybe don't know where they're going. And if they do know, they're taking their sweet time about it. Yeah, it's not quite ash. Because like we, we got teleported out to Pluto and it was clear we'd have a series of episodes where we'd visit each planet and then make our way back to Earth. And apparently in that whole time, they didn't consider what would happen when we got back to Earth. They get back to Earth, come up with some incredibly out-of-character dumb plan where Global goes full evil for five seconds to get them booted off Earth. And it'll be really interesting to see where they go from here. I have vague recollections of where the series finishes up, but not the immediate aftermath of this incident. No, me neither. I have, I have absolutely no idea what happens next, and I'm not sure if that's a good thing or a, or a bad thing. I know there's some really funny stuff coming up, like you know, anime's hot takes about society's development that will be really funny and fun to talk about because it'll be super messed up and wrong. Oh. But uh, I don't know what happens in the next few episodes, though. Well, g- g- hmm. I want to read... Hmm. 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 I kind of want to read you the synopsis as per Wikipedia for the next episode. But then... Well, let's do it. They have a, they have episode previews. We can have an episode preview. Okay, so next episode, Minmay and Lin Carl's first movie, A Small White Dragon, becomes the talk of the town. As crowds gather for the premiere, left unease by the cousins' love scenes, Rick and Lisa walk out of the movie. Sorry, what? Left unease the- by the cousins' love scenes, Rick and Lisa walk out of the movie theatre. Hot. That... So that's going to be an absolutely dire episode. <laughs> but, like, okay, just, I'm trying to unpack that, that sentence, though. I'm going to assume that what so, they need to say is, is that this is where I think it gets weirdly racist, right? They're saying that it's Rick is weirded out by Lin May making love to another man who happens to be her cousin, but that's not the issue. It's the problem of her sleeping with another man. Is that what, what we're getting at? Well, I don't, I don't think... I don't think it's clear from that synopsis, but I think we'll find out that, yes, he's mad because she's, you know, on screen kissing another man and Lisa is probably mad because she's on screen kissing her cousin, which is... Oh, because the cousin reminds her of her ex-Riber that went to Mars to get away from her. Yeah, but no one is mad for the sane reason of... Watching the cousin fucking movie because yeah. why are the cousins fucking? <laughs> Look, obviously, I mean, they've obviously, hmm, yeah. Like the, the fact that that's just taken is completely normal. That Lynn Kyle is her cousin and also a re- like a viable romantic prospect. Like the fact that no one at any point sort of objects to that is super weird. It is, and it just it also feels it's like is this. Is this like a all Chinese people marry their cousins thing? Is that what we're going? That, well, if it was, they would have said something about it. Like somebody would have gone, wow, those weird Chinese and their cousin marrying. But no one said that. So I feel like it's, is it a translation error? Well, it's not. Uh, I remember the subs mentioned him as a cousin as well. I don't know. Look, all I can say is tune in next time on My Boyfriend is a Podcast to find out. <laughs> See you, everyone. <laughs> See you all.